Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. And welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting next to Tom Dorian. And, Tom, we're sharing the booth here, aren't we? We are. It's a tight fit today. Well, this is the family edition of the luxurious corner booth here at the Catholic Cafe. Well, I'd like to believe they're all family edition, but... And we have Bob and Sarah Nicholas. Hello. 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 Welcome to the luxurious corner booth. And they brought with them a beautiful baby boy, Elijah Carroll. There he goes. Three months old. I hear the gurgling and the noises in the background. It's a wonderful opportunity <laughs> to have this uh, wonderful little family here because we're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about marriage and family from a Catholic perspective. Wonderful. And so I think that we want to do first and foremost is, Bob, tell us a little bit about your marriage. How long have you guys been married? Uh, we'll be married eight years in July of uh, 2009. Eight glorious and happy years, of course. Eight, I've been married eight years and eight of them have been happy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, so far we're 100% compliance. Eight and counting. Eight and counting. That's right. And how many kids do you guys have? Uh, we have four children. All right. Wonderful. And what our, are their names? Our, our oldest is seven and his name is Ben. Uh, we have a four-year-old named Aiden, a three-year-old named Josiah, and a uh, now a three-month-old named Eli who's being restless. Yeah, he's unhappy he's about unhappy. something. I think he had a little bit of the pancakes and the, that didn't really he didn't like that. <laughs> they didn't sit well with him. No, they didn't sit well. So we're going to talk a little bit about the sacrament of marriage. And we call it a sacrament because that's what the church calls it. Mm-hmm. And the understanding of marriage is obviously uh, something that I think that the world has not exactly gotten. Uh, no. And I just wanted to read real quick what our catechism says about holy matrimony. The matrimonial covenant by which a man and a woman establish between themselves a partnership of the whole of life is by its nature ordered toward the good of the spouses and the procreation and education of offspring. This covenant between baptized persons has been raised by Christ the Lord to the dignity of a sacrament. Bob, what does that mean to you that this is the sacrament? Obviously, that, uh, by the way, comes from paragraph 1601 of the Catechism. What does it mean Obviously. That, that marriage <laughs> is a sacrament? Um, well, I think that it implies that it's an, as all sacraments, it's an outward sign of an inward grace. And there's a union that occurs when you're married uh, that is uh, supernatural. It is not something that is simply civil or uh, of human law. There's, a, there's God's law involved. There's, there's uh, grace involved. There is uh, unity not only with your spouse but with Christ uh, and with the church involved. Yeah, and so I think if we look at, at marriage, and nowadays I think that maybe marriage is not viewed the same way. What, do you th- what, do you, what are the pressures from the world? What does the world say about marriage? Um, nothing good well, <laughs> that I have seen thus far. You no, know, the, the, no, honestly, there are people that, that do not have a, a Christian perspective about marriage or even a, a religious perspective about marriage, and they might live uh, a happy life. You Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. But it doesn't... It's not complete. It's not complete. In our, in our, in our, the way we would say it is it's not complete. And uh, I think a lot of what you see from the world it has to do with self-satisfaction self-pleasure uh instant gratification things that can't be obtained in a relationship uh and we see that with divorce rates we see that with uh the number of children out of wedlock we see that with the the number of marriages that go through counseling or separation or uh other things of that nature that 
the ideal of marriage is not about a union, a union or about a covenant, but about a self-satisfaction. And, a, you know, I'm married to this other person and that person is there to serve me. But the two of us are not necessarily there to serve each other. Um, and if both parties see it that way and there's no compromise, there's no unity, then uh, is there really intimacy? And, and, or is it, is it true intimacy? Now, when I do marriage prep, we talk about marriage from the perspective of a total self-giving. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How, how does that fit into the, uh, you, I guess, the way you live your lives? Maybe, Sarah, how do you, do you feel like you guys give of yourselves totally, and how do you express that? I feel like we do that very much. So we, um, just even the regular day-to-day, honey, when he gets up, I get up and help him with breakfast or make sure he has the things he needs for the day for work, just things like that that, isn't always what you want to do, but it's making an effort out of love for your spouse to get up and to do those things for them. So you see a higher ideal here. It's not so much just getting through the day and just making him happy, which you know, which a lot of men out there are thinking, what a burden. I like this lady. <laughs> what a, bur- <laughs> you what know? a burden for Sarah. God <laughs> bless you, Sarah. Oh, thank you. We're but praying in, for you. But in terms, of, <laughs> in terms of, of this idea, let's, let's talk about, say, uh, an issue like contraception. You know, a lot of people in this world think that contraception is a perfectly viable and valuable way in which you can limit the number of births, that you can create and foster a loving environment in the home because it's more centered on the two versus the family. And so, but where do you all come down on this issue? How do you all see uh, contraception in, in, in view of giving your total self? We choose to follow the church's teachings by using uh, natural family planning. Contraception really seems like a way of cutting ourselves apart or pulling ourselves apart because if we're contracepting, we are not giving of ourselves to each other completely. Yeah, one of the things we do when we teach in RCIA about the covenant of marriage, that I talk about marriage being this foretaste of our relationship with God. Mm-hmm. The relationship we have with God is one of total self-giving. And, and Jesus was the perfect example. He gave of himself totally to the point of death. Mm-hmm. All the suffering and death was total self-giving. And Absolutely. the same way in our marriage, it's not going to work. It's not going to be a covenant. It's not going to be a sacrament. It's not going to be holy if we're not giving of ourselves totally. In other words, you can't come to the marriage bed and say, I give everything to you, honey, except this. That's right. That's right. And holding that back, a lot of people see that if you are contracepting, you're only holding back one thing. But in reality, you're holding back so much more. Um, as someone who came to a marriage with a prior history, you know, there, the sexual act, the the unity between a man and a woman is so personal, is so intimate. It's 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 more than just a physical self-giving. It's it's a whole self-giving of all parts of you. Mm-hmm. And if you contracept, you withhold that, you restrict that. And personally, and knowing friends that that contracept or or family members that contracept, I can see the difference in the intimacy in their marriage than what we experience. Not from a prideful standpoint, but to say thank you, Lord. For opening our hearts to this and opening us to this, because trust me, when I you know went through school and graduated, no no one, including myself, thought that I would be married with four children uh, in a you know in eight years of marriage. That's just not something that I saw. But what a blessing, and something that we've been able to share, and a union, a union, and an intimacy in our marriage that has increased every year. Every, you know, and and I think that people who um, are, have been married for 50 years and they say, I loved my wife more every day. Well, that's a union. That's an intimacy. That can't come from withholding yourself. Right. And this idea that we're open to life. Absolutely. Absolutely. That we're always open to God's gift of life. That's something that's beautiful. And that's also part of the process. Of, uh, the, from what I read in the catechism, it talks about that 
marriage is a covenant that's it's designed for the betterment of the couple. That's the unitive aspect of that, but also for the increase of children and the growth of children, education of children, and that's the procreative aspect. Which is also good for society. I mean, there's a, there's a part of marriage that when we share and experience marriage together, that that increases and, and betters society as a whole. Uh, us upbringing children and teaching them and rearing them in the faith, us being open to life. Is, is a core element of, of what we would call the domestic church, you know, the family within society. And it's so important to pay attention to that. Uh, otherwise, as a family, it's hard to share that uh, focus and that mission in life if you don't have this openness. Well, you just said the word family, and you said the word hard in the same sentence. And so now I want to sort of transition now into I know that there are challenges. I've got nine kids. And we saw early on that there were going to be challenges to, to rearing a big family. Very what are some much. of those challenges that you incur? Um, sometimes just scheduling alone with having the, all four boys up and all wanting things, just having routine, figuring out how each child's needs can be met, and also avoiding the lies of society about each child's needs, needing individual things, individual attention. Everyone needs everything that they ask for. Just follow, avoiding those lies and those pitfalls has been a really big um, blessing for us to know the truth from the beginning or to have people encouraging us from the beginning to avoiding. Amen. Amen. And you know what? So few people realize that the best advice for child rearing isn't coming from the world. God has given you all the graces you need to be wonderful, beautiful, Mm -hmm. holy parents to your children. It's all already, you know, the law of God is written on our hearts. It's already there. We just have to be open to use it. Because there's so many pressures out there for us not to. Oh, there are dynamic pressures against us. I mean, to the point where, you know, we've been in stores and and people give you looks or they'll, you make comments and you can hear them make comments because they don't understand how someone could be open to four children. I can't imagine with nine. I can't imagine with, you know, seven at this point because we have four and... And we're taking. I remember back time. when I had four. And you remember those time <laughs> in my hands. Reflect fondly on those days. <laughs> yeah. It was so relaxing. Yes, I'm sure it was wonderful. <laughs> well, we are so blessed to have you here, and we're so blessed to uh, that you would share with us some of your insight. And we have so much more that we want to talk about when we come back after this short break. But before I did that, I do want to remind folks that we have a wonderful website www.thecatholiccafe.com and on this website you'll find lots of wonderful resources, links to other resources about the Catholic Church and the Catholic faith. You want to find out more about what the church teaches, you can go there and you can start your journey. Uh, Also, we have all of the shows we've ever recorded, including this one, will be posted on the web and you can listen to it there, download it, and listen to it later. Uh, You can also sign up for podcasting, which is uh, wonderful, been very fruitful for our little ministry here. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love you to email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so with that, gather the babies because we are going to come back in just a moment. I'm Bess Drzemski, and this is another great moment in church history. Tradition tells us that the parents of Mary, the mother of God, were named Joachim and Anne. Not much is known of the details of their lives, but they have become the focus of great admiration and veneration. This is most assuredly due to the fact that their daughter Mary was the humble virgin chosen by God to bring Jesus into the world, and an example for all Christians. 
One story tells us that after they were married, Saints Joachim and Anne greatly desired to have a family. They tried, however, for many years to conceive. It was thought that St. Anne was barren. Things looked hopeless. They did not lose their faith, however. They prayed continually to God for the blessing of a child. One night, an angel appeared and said that God had indeed heard them, and they would receive the child for which they so fervently prayed. On that very night, in thankfulness, St. Anne promised to dedicate her child to God. Not long after that, Mary was born. Many have wondered how the church can honor as saints those whom we know little about. In the case of Saints Joachim and Anne, we need only look at their important role as the parents of Mary, the young girl who would freely offer herself in service to God and all mankind. Regardless of the details of their lives, we know that as parents in a good Jewish family, they would be responsible for Mary's upbringing. They were Mary's teachers. They fed her, nurtured her, encouraged her, and supported her, even in the moment of accepting God's call to be the mother of God. It was their dedication to living a holy life that God used to serve as an example for Mary. In fact, what she learned from her parents, she most naturally would use in bringing up the child Jesus. And it was her parents' faith that laid the foundation for Mary's consolation and acceptance of God's will at the foot of her son's cross. Saints Joachim and Anne serve as an example for all married couples in bringing up their children to willingly accept the vocations to which they are called in service to God. As early as the 4th century, a church was built by St. Helena, mother of Constantine, on the site where the sainted couple lived in Jerusalem. Saints Joachim and Anne are often depicted in artwork holding Mary and teaching her to read from the sacred scriptures. Their feast day is celebrated by the Universal Church on July 26th. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, and uh, we're still here with Bob and Sarah Nicholas and little Elijah. Little Elijah. How's Eli doing? He's happy now. He's he, wonderful. He's a happy, quiet little baby. He sure is. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So we're going to start this half of the program off with something that's, I don't want to say controversial, but you know whenever you're involved in a, in a marriage, there's a wonderful, beautiful verse when you're planning your wedding and you're there with the with the minister and you're picking the scripture verses you're going to have read one of the ones they always trot out in front of you is Ephesians Ephesians chapter 5 and for some reason some people don't like this Bob you want to read read that and let's get a little insight into that sure this is Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 through 25 wives should be subordinate to their husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of his wife just as Christ is the head of the church He himself the Savior of the body. As the church is subordinate to Christ, so wives should be subordinate to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and handed himself over for her. Right off the bat, I think a lot of people hear that, and you hear all that subordination, or other translations say submission, and all of Mm -hmm. a sudden, the wife feels like, you know, in this day and age, you'd think these uh, old chauvinistic scriptures would be uh, abolished and we would no longer hear that. 
So what are your thoughts about that? Do you think the world has it wrong? I think the world misperceives, obviously, what the Bible is trying to say here, what, what the Lord is trying to tell us. And, and I don't think that uh, we take this as a no. uh, subordinate um, where I'm in charge all the time. I mean, compromise is absolutely... Well, I don't want to hear that from you, Bob. Sarah, is just... <laughs> you don't how trust does that me? Work? You don't trust me? <laughs> I, I'm looking at her. Her eyes are rolling. No, they're not. They weren't. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. This is radio, so I'm telling a story here. I'm lying. For me, being submissive to my husband has been very freeing, actually, because through the sacrament of our marriage, God gives him the wisdom to lead our family. So for a lot of decisions that need to be made and just things that are best for our family, I have the ability to trust the grace of our sacrament. I submit to him prayerfully, and we prayerfully take it to God and trust that Bob will be inspired to make the best choice. And always it has been very freeing, actually. But that doesn't mean you have no part in any of the decisions to get made in the family. No, not at all. Not at all. That's not at all how it works. It's really just a fact of I take whatever decisions need to be made to him. For instance, for us, for our homeschooling curriculum, we were deciding whether or not we wanted to switch to a different curriculum. And I was kind of taken away with all of the new bright books and different ideas compared to what we were doing. But I gave it to Bob and asked him, what do you think is best for our family? How do you think it should work? And we prayed about it together, and he said, I think we should stick with what's working. And immediately it was there was a piece to the decision that I knew that it was the right thing to make. And I had to trust him to make it, so I knew that that's the grace of the sacrament. And there's a very lovely sense of humility in all of this as well that kind of that I think that permeates in what you're talking right. about. Yes. I think it is hard sometimes to be submissive because I do think, well, He's not teaching the children or, you know, he's at work during the day, so he doesn't know what's going on. But really, he knows he's their father and he's my husband. He knows his family very well. He's very involved. So he knows what needs to be done and what's best for our family. And so it is by far one of the best things. It is a constant practice in humility, though, but it's good for me. Now, Bob. St. Paul does not let the Ephesian men off easy here. What does he say that the men have to do? So if the women have to be submissive, right, if they're subordinate to the husband, and everyone thinks, well, the husband's got a great deal going here, what does St. Paul tell us? Well, it's, it's kind of guarded in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the scripture. It's hard to see. But when he says, uh, hand, uh, hand our lives over to our wives as Christ handed his over for the church, I mean, really, we are to die to our wives. We are to die to ourselves and die to our wives and sacrifice everything. Uh, it's back to that whole self-giving. And um, it, it's not necessarily a medieval, I'm going to take the sword and go to battle for somebody who comes after my family, uh, because luckily we don't have to do that in the in our culture today. Um, it, it's more of a um, defending my family from a, a faith standpoint and making sure that we are brought up properly and formed properly and our consciences are formed properly, that my wife has what she needs and that I sacrifice my time in order to give her what she needs to care for our family. Um, as she says, I'm at work and I don't always know what's going on inside the house, but she runs such a wonderful house that when I come home, I have a home to come to. And that, that is a sacrifice for me because I can't do everything. And that, for my personality, that's very hard. Um, so it, it's a it's a very big total self-giving that, again, humility is the number one thing I can think of because um, there are times where I want to uh, do something or uh, be someone that I'm not called to be and, and um, to lay down those desires of, of uh, fame and, you know, Everybody wants to be a rock star. Everybody wants to be a race car driver. I mean, those are easy examples. But that's Tom. Yeah, well, that's basically. right. He is a rock star. So, you know, it's it's hard to sometimes lay those down and, and, and not 
do the things we desire, uh, perhaps from our humanness, you know, but God gives us the grace and the wisdom to say, well, maybe purchasing that brand new Corvette that we can't afford isn't the right thing because my family needs food and my wife needs things to care for our home. And I think a lot of families, that's that's mixed up. You know, it's, it's mixed up. People don't think of uh, your finances as a sacrifice for your family. They don't think of your time as a sacrifice. Everybody goes to work just to provide for food or to get these things that they think their family needs when really their kids and their, mo- their, their mother, their wife just wants time. And one of the things that comes to mind as I'm hearing you both express yourselves, especially about this Ephesians 5 passage, is that I know this is uh, painfully obvious, but God made man and woman different. Exactly. You know, and, and I know Very when you talk different. about it, there's, <laughs> but there's a complementarity mm-hmm. of the sexes. We each have these different charisms, these different skills, the the nurturing mom and the go-out-and-kill-it husband. The hunter-gatherer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It works so beautifully together, and it seems like as long as you keep that in balance, Absolutely. it's so important that we we form our consciences, that we form our lives and form our, our entire beings around the Catholic teaching and understanding of that total self-giving love. You know, Deacon Jeff, there's one other part in here that I think is really important. Um, Verse 23 says, For the husband is the head of his wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, he himself the savior of the body. How many, of, you know, how many times do you go to church and you see uh, a wonderful woman with her children and the husband's at home watching a football game? Or he's off doing something that, and he doesn't go to church. Uh, he doesn't lead his family in the faith. That is, that is giving your, your life to your family and leading your family. And that, to me, that has been the most um, grace-giving uh, experiences is in the faith and in going to church because sometimes in mass, you know, children can be uh, a little bit unruly and disruptive. disruptive <laughs> yes. And um, it's humbling to have someone turn around at church and say, your children are just so wonderful. And you're thinking I'm going to wring his neck when I get to the car, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, but, but to be there at church, I mean, look around and see how many husbands are not there. Um, that is a very important element of, of, I think, experiencing the sacrament of marriage is that we're in this together. And it's not like you're going to go off and raise them in the, in the faith and That's right. teach them. I'm going to be there, too. That I have a responsibility and an obligation to, to the Lord because it's been entrusted to me as the husband. And there's such a sadness you know, in today's world in terms of the sort of deadbeat dad, the guy that yeah. mm-hmm. doesn't do what he's called to do. Mm-hmm. And it just it won't work. That's we right. have so many failed marriages because we have... Guys that are not contributing, they're, they are sitting on the couch. That's right. They're and both. you know what? Their marriage may be intact. True. But it's not going to be one that is uh, it's not flourishing. Complete. It's not no, complete. No, it's not complete. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's that whole idea of the vocation, uh, my vocation. You know, we talk about that a lot. Our vocation is to be married or somebody's vocation could be to be a priest or a nun. But our vocation is to be married. That's not about what we're going to do. Our vocation is about who we are, our identity in the Lord and who we were created to be. It has nothing to do with what we're going to do. So I'm not going to be someone at work and do these things. I'm going to be Sarah's husband. That is who I was created to be. And I'm going to be the best possible husband I can be. And if that means I have to work, well, then the Lord says so. I hate to work, but I have to work. <laughs> we're all that. We're, we're all that way. That's you know? exactly right. So, but the work can't be the purpose. Well, one of the things I always hear, not as a criticism of marriage, but one of the big challenges of marriage is finding that time. We're always so busy. We have young couples that they start to get a little overwhelmed, right? And so We've they never, start, We have never experienced I understand that. <laughs> You're wonderful, shining examples of, of holy matrimony. But lying to you. That's right. Well, so we have some young couples who they are going to miss an occasional mass. You know, you miss one, it's so easier to 
missed the second one, the third, and the fourth, or they don't find that time to pray. What are some of the what's some of the practical advice that you guys can give to those married couples? For family prayer time, the biggest blessing for us has been to work, find what works for the kids because we've tried many different things, and then it's dragging them back to the spot where they should be kneeling and praying or trying to shush the quiet ones down. But our children love music, so we have we have family prayer through music a lot. My husband plays the guitar, and the boys play the drums, or we have all kinds of different music, but it's time where we're praying together through music, and then we'll tone it down and do some very prayerful it's worked for us because we can spend that time together so but you're committed to finding that prayer time exactly we find that prayer time and it's not always music but we can judge it and gauge by okay who's who we're not going to be able to get these boys to sit tonight so we do the music or we find ways to do it so we're always open to finding something that makes sure that we have that time together so the boys know it's a priority for all of us bob how do you guys get to mass every sunday You know what? I found that, um, you have, again, it's planning around what is good for the kids. And, and um, there's the witching hour for the kids that, you know, you're not going to go to the evening. The last chance mass is usually not a good option. Uh, and, and so we prefer to go to uh, like a 1030 morning mass. And timing just works. That you know, We get home and we eat lunch and the kids have quiet time. It's just sort of our whole Sunday is consumed by by that. And, and when you do that, it makes the kids look forward to it. You know, we get up in the morning, have breakfast together as a family and, and shoot for that. Um, and as far as being at mass, um, we have we've actually never used the nursery, which is surprising to a lot of people. Because um, when you, to me, when you discipline your kids at home the same way you would as if you were in church, and church is easy uh, from that standpoint. Now they're going to have their days, and you're going to be standing out in the narthex of the church, looking through the windows and yearning to be right. <laughs> sitting where you were. But we sit up, we sit closer to the front. We sit third or fourth row because, and, and we teach the kids to be enthralled with the mass. You know, my, my sons love to watch the priest process down the aisle. And you know what? They do that by example. Absolutely. If you are enthralled with the mass, it's, they will be. Yeah. Well, I found I, that with our kids yeah. that they yeah. are, they love to go to mass. That's right. And if you don't let them go to mass, it's so much harder to get them to want to go That's right. later because they're right. used to playing with toys. Exactly. <laughs> right. If they're not consistently in the habit of going to mass, just like anything in our lives, if they're not in the habit of going to mass, you can't take them to one mass a month and expect them to behave as if they know what's going on. Now, I understand there still needs for nurseries. And Absolutely. there are people right. out there that are going to require that. Well, so please, it don't feel bad about no, sending no, no, your no. kids to the nursery every once in a while. I want to use it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> It's been such a blessing to have you guys here, and I hope that God continues to bless your marriage. And you. uh, you've you. got some beautiful children, and you're obviously a beautiful uh, couple, uh, and, and God's got some great plans for you. And we thank you so much, Bob and Sarah Nicholas, for sharing Elijah and uh, your family uh, with us today. Thanks for, Thanks having, us. for having us. So, Tom, we got to rate this show. I tell you, we do. It, it stands to reason it's going to be a high rating. So I, I would say on a scale of 0 to 15, easily 15. All right, we got 15. That's pretty good. Yeah. Can we get a prize? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> After we get off the air. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, for those you have called to live in the bonds of holy matrimony, grant your peace, your mercy, and your grace on their lives. Bless their homes and fill them with the joy of knowing and trusting in you. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And in the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe 
there's always room for one more at our table. 